episode 260, bonus edition, interview with John Orr and Kyle Pierce. I'm Jake Miller from the Educational Duct Tape Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect those of others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Empowering Educators Podcast. I am Gretchen, your host and expert lesson learner. I'm a national board certified elementary teacher turned teacher, trainer, and coach. All the lessons I've learned and am learning on my edgy journey, I share with you right here. From every silly mistake to the most glorious successes, you're going to hear stories and strategies that will inspire you to become your best. I have to warn you, as an educator, I can't help but hold you accountable for doing the work. So every episode, I leave you with practical, tangible next steps so you can implement your learning and maximize your impact. Whether you're teaching a lesson or learning one yourself, there's always a lesson if you're willing to pay close attention. Elite educators, that's the secret to staying empowered. Bring on today's lesson. Hey, Elite Educators, Gretchen here of Always the Lesson. I'm ready to empower you to reach your potential. You know it, I refer to you as Elite because I think that describes someone who takes the time, like right now, listening to a podcast to hone your craft. So you earned it. You earned the title. Go ahead and wear it proudly. Today is a special day because we have a guest appearance. In fact, it's a double guest feature. I want to help you reignite your passion and potential by learning from two elite educators, John Orr and Kyle Pierce. They've got quite an empowering message. They are passionate about math and strong classroom instruction that focuses on getting kids to think and discover and innovate and all the things that you don't necessarily associate with the math class you grew up in. So tune in for all their ideas and they share a very simple system that you can implement today. So let's dive in. Well, hey, Kyle and John, I'm so excited for you guys to be on this duo call today. (laughs) We're going to be chatting with the empowering educators out there in the universe. It's worldwide, super exciting to be in classrooms all over the place in school buildings as well. So I just want to jump in and hear your stories and the lessons you've learned. So if you both don't mind giving me just a quick hello, where are you from and what have you been doing up until this point? Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I guess I'll start. I'm, I'm Kyle Pierce. I'm a, a K through 12 math consultant currently. Um, but it, the reality is I'm a high school math teacher. And uh, throughout my career, you know, um, and you'll hear from John as well, uh, very similar stories and, and sort of what brought us together to kind of put our heads together was, you know, we were struggling to, you know, reach students. We, we had students struggling with math, not feeling good about themselves as mathematicians. And the sad reality was that, you know, we got into math because we thought math was pretty easy when we went through school. And and it was only once we started teaching that we started to realize that, oh, my gosh, we actually don't understand the math as well as we thought we did. And that really comes through when you're working with students and, you know, you're seeing those students who are are running into those struggles. So uh, I'll pause there and I'll flip over to John. John, like what gaps can you fill in there? Yeah, for sure. So I'm uh, John or I'm a high school math teacher in southern Ontario, Canada, along Kyle is also down in the south of Canada as well. (laughs) uh, We do teach in different districts. And I'm a teacher who started his career as a very traditional if I use the word traditional, I'm not maybe everyone understands what I mean here as a traditional teacher, a traditional math teacher, I was the, the person that would you know, stay at the front here today, we're going to learn about this. And here are your examples. Let's uh, go through the notes. Let's do exactly the examples. And uh, now here's your homework. Let's practice it a whole bunch of times. And let's repeat that day after day. And I taught that way for 10 years at the beginning of my career. And I feel like later on, I, I give myself a little permission because I've changed since then. But knowing that most of us teach the way we were taught and 
it's through experience that we learn to change. That's what happened with me. And alongside Kyle's stories, I realized that I've been teaching a, a bunch of kids that hated math and <laughs> I wasn't doing anything to help that situation. I think I was perpetuating that math is a get done subject. It's a subject where we kind of like, let's get these worksheets done and move on so that mm -hmm. we can do the next topic. And it wasn't until later that I realized that math is a thinking topic, not a get done topic or a get done subject. And it's it, how do we engage our thinkers? How can we get more thinking happening in our classrooms? And how can I get my kids more curious? That was the kind of the gateway for me to start to experience greater success in engagement and also some deeper sense making in my students. Yeah, you're saying some really good stuff. First, we've got to start with the accent. It was obvious before <laughs> either one of you even said Canada. And then to hear you joke about Southern Canada, which cannot be anything like <laughs> the south here it's got to no. be freezing <laughs> oh yeah it's a uh, minus 10 uh, degrees celsius here today in, oh a, in a cold january <laughs> and, and we're doing better than the majority of the, of the country right now the so south. like we can kind of rub it into them a little bit you know yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh but you both are very passionate about math and i'm excited to feature you because math was a subject i felt i was not great in i felt very frustrated and it wasn't until i had to teach myself how to teach math that I realized, oh, like I get it now that I've taken time to learn the strategies that go along with it, not just problem answer. And that was big for me. And then when new math kind of came around and they said, you know, take 30 minutes to answer one problem. And I'm thinking to myself, this is just so ridiculous. <laughs> but what it did mm -hmm. is it forced you to think and stop focusing on the memorization and to really understand how numbers come together. And like you mentioned, different strategies of thinking. And when students finally felt free from this is the one way to answer something and that they could actually be creative and innovative in how they approach things, that was very motivating to them. And to me, I finally felt like I had a second life with math, that I no longer felt a failure, even as an adult, that I, I started to fall in love a little bit because it was no longer uh, right or wrong. It was, hey, how would you handle this? And why do you think that's the best route? And let's compare it to somebody else and let's share mm -hmm. ideas. And it was just much more collaborative and fun and exciting. And that's what's really missing. So I'm glad you are using your experience in the classroom, growing from it, and now sharing it with other educators so they too can mm -hmm. help students. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just to kind of comment on that, it was becoming so as john alluded to you know teaching in, in the high school classroom with students who didn't want to be there you as the educator also start of fall into that, you know, into that, oh, do I even really want to be here? You know, I, I know no one wants to, mm -hmm. to do this. As soon as we started sort of shifting our perspective and, and really there's a big long journey that's involved there. We started with curiosity and trying to get students to kind of pay attention in our class, you know, like want to actually lean in and do some math and, and make some math moments. At that point, do you start to see students are bringing so much more to the table than we realized in our quote unquote, you know, traditional procedural approach? Students have so much intuition that they have. And, and by intuition, like we're not talking about, you know, they're born with this intuition. It's through their experiences and all that they know from the world they can bring to problems and use that as a means to kind of wrestle with problems and, and discover together as a group collaboratively, as you've alluded to earlier. And through this process, math sort of starts shifting from this get done subject to that thinking subject, one of the, the biggest compliments we can receive, the best feedback we receive is when the bell goes and students say, wow, that went by fast. You know, mm. they don't have to say like, this was the best day ever or the best <laughs> lesson, or I dreamt about math last night, but just for them <laughs> to not be sort of like knowing, like usually students are packing up at the end of a math class. It's like if they're deep mm -hmm. in thought and the bell interrupts them, that's how you know you're like, all right, like we're on to something here. It reminds me, I had a colleague who taught across from me when I taught fifth grade and she did math, I did science and she would wear this hat and she wrote on it, why? And I said, why the heck mm. are you wearing that? She goes, because I feel like I'm constantly 
pushing them to go a step further in their thinking. They just want and to give me an answer. And I'm like, forget the answer. Here is the answer, actually. You know, like now let's talk about how we get there and why we have to do it this way. And what are the multiple ways we can get mm-hmm. there? And through her, the visual of wearing the hat, the kids would laugh and poke fun, but they started pushing their own thinking and each other's thinking because of that reminder of you've got to dig deeper. You have mm-hmm. to keep going. You've got to question why you're doing it a certain way and why it's working or why it's not working. And that stuck out to me as that's a silly funny, easy way to engage kids. Definitely. Such a insightful question that you can ask kids. And it's such an easy kind of entry way also. And it's also a way to like break away from some of the resources that we rely on, right? Like from that traditional self that I taught, I taught strictly out of the textbook. And and I think it's not our fault sometimes to teach that way, because like I said before, it's we teach the way we were taught, but mm-hmm. then also it's like, well, what resources do I start with? So most math teachers are starting with their textbook handed down to them by their district curriculum consultant, like Kyle, someone in his position, but also maybe the department had said, look, this is the textbook. This is the curriculum or the, the resource we're using here in our school. Hey, you got to follow this plan. And sometimes we, when we stick to that plan and we start to branch off a little bit and go, but I need deeper thinking. We get to that moment where you're, you were saying that that teacher was wearing that hat. It's like, okay, but I need to get to that fueling sense-making piece with our students. I want them to understand why things work and how they work. But I'm stuck with this resource that I've been using or been told to use. And there's there's tough moments there. It's like, how, what do I what do I do? And I think there's a there's a big it seems like a big movement these days that you have to ditch your textbook. You know, you have to, like, toss it out. You have to push it to the side if you, it's the resource you have to use with your district or your or your school. But but it seems on social media, it's, we're not good teachers if we aren't using lessons that we're finding on online or we're not good teachers if we're not buying a package of lessons from a paid website or I'm not using something I saw on Twitter because someone else was. There's a lot of fear of missing out there and teachers think they have to be a better teacher by using these other resources. But Kyle, you know, like we've chatted about this lots of times that when you say I I have to ditch my textbook, it's like, okay, well now what? Like I have to like or rejig everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there, and, and I think this is something that John and I actually experienced ourselves because, you know, we're reflecting on how we felt, where we thought, huh, where, you know, what are we going to do if we want to change things? Okay, well, let's, like, clearly the textbook isn't working for us. So we sort of push that to the side and then we started seeking out different resources. And, you know, we started to get a little bit more engagement. Uh, we had discovered Dan Meyer in that journey, three act math tasks that really resonated with John and I were both kind of little techie and, and that really, you know, sort of sparked our interest. So we started on that path. And what we realized after some time is that actually what we need to focus on are like, what are the elements that make moments in our math class? And that sort of helped us to start our own podcast called the making math moments that matter podcast and on our podcast and through our website and our resources we've really sort of started to kind of filter through all of the noise that we might be seeing whether it's in twitter whether you're hearing it from colleagues or your administrators we started to figure out like what actually matters because there used to be times where we would get through a day and you'd sort of reflect back on your day and you'd sort of feel like you 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 got lucky that day right like the kids wow that lesson went really well and it was like wow a good string of luck but what we realized later was actually no on those days there were certain things that we had done certain elements in our lesson that had helped us to get students to lean in and then get them to make sense of the mathematics and that got us thinking about this framework that we share with educators and it really involves three we're going to say they're massive ideas but three things for them to think about and that is sparking curiosity how are we going to get those students to look our way and lean in 
how are we going to fuel their sense making? Because of course, if we're just using a gimmicky activity that has really no purpose, no intentionality, then we're really no better off, right? Other than students maybe paying attention for a little while. And then what are the teacher moves that we can use in order to sort of segue us into the next thinking? So for us, this three-part framework we call this Make Math Moments three-part framework has been really our work for the past eight or nine years of sifting through everything that has worked well and then the things that didn't really work well. And we've sort of tried to boil things down to try to help give teachers a bit of a roadmap so it doesn't matter what resource that they're using or they're starting with. They can take those resources and they can apply this filter in order to get students to lean in and to make more memorable math moments each and every day. This is so exciting. It's simple. Uh, anything in threes, I feel like you can commit <laughs> to memory, but it's nice that it's generic enough. It could apply to a variety of settings. It's clearly not just math. And I'm already brainstorming different ways I could use it in teacher leadership of just how do these mm -hmm. questions push our practice through reflection and developing new habits and really allowing us to have a bigger impact on kids? So I'm so glad through your work, you've been able to name it. I think that's the hardest part is like, we're doing something that's working. How do we help others do it too? And so now you've named it. How do you go about helping teachers cultivate it? They might understand it, but how do you get them to actually go and do it and, and ensure it, it's really personalized for their classroom? Yeah, it's a great question. What we do is when we, we, we work with teachers and we share resources, we have so many options for, for teachers. One of our guiding principles with what we were doing at Make Math Moments is getting professional development in as many hands uh, that needed as possible. Because professional development, is, it seems to be from our experience, has been for a select Few. It's for like the few at your district that get chosen to have like a little bit more push towards going in this one direction, or you're going to get some more resources because they've been identified to maybe they're a little bit high flyers and they, they get it. It's, but not everybody. It's also uh, professional development is for the districts that have lots of money and pass that down, but also professional development is for countries that have invested in their education system. Usually those are the places that get professional development. But at Make Math Moments, really been prided on creating free professional development for teachers and free resources because because teachers need it. And not everyone is in one of those districts or one of those teachers that's going to get chosen to get that resource or that, that extra push or that extra support. We want to be there for everybody. We want to be there for the teachers in a district that needs that. We want to be there for a teacher that does not want to pay for out-of-pocket resources. I know that that's a huge thing right now is that we feel like we need to supplement what's happening in our classroom with our own money. We we want to be there for teachers from other countries that don't say get professional development or can't attend a conference. It's another way people would, you know, have a whole bunch of money to go to a conference. We've got really a three-pronged approach for helping as many teachers as we can. As, as Kyle's already mentioned, the podcast, we produce a weekly podcast where we chat with individual practicing teachers about what is a pebble in their shoe, like what's, what's challenging them lately in their classroom. And we have a coaching call where we walk through how how to apply the framework that we're talking about or other elements of good teaching practice to help them. And then they can go off and try that again. We bring them back on the show a little later to, to kind of guide them or see how they've adapted to the learning that they've had. We also put out a regular YouTube video each week so that teachers can get professional development on that platform if that's where they are. Uh, we usually give like a teaching tip or show a showcase of how to do something that follows that framework. Like how do I spark curiosity in a certain way with a particular topic or, or last year we spent a ton of time building resources for remote learning for teachers. And then th there's another resource that we have is that every year we host a conference that's completely free for teachers. Most people will go to the NCTM mathematics conference or not most, but a select few will go there. And that costs a lot of money, like a thousand dollars at least to have a hotel teacher, a substitute teacher travel. Our conference takes the people that are presenting at those conferences and brings them to an online format so that anyone can get those same sessions. We really tried to make as much free resources as possible to get 
the ideas of uh, this three-part framework and changing math instruction into as many as many hands as, as possible. Wow, you both are so busy, and I love that you are making your mission about access. You want everyone to be able to have access to quality professional development is certainly in mathematics so that their kids can fall in love with it and we can really develop critical thinking and problem-solving skills, which just are life skills in my opinion. So I applaud you for your efforts. As we know, things in education change all the time. And I was wondering, how are you staying on top of anything that changes? I know curriculum might change and such, but is there one way in which you both continue learning and then pass that down into your three-prong approach when you're coaching teachers? Yeah, actually, it's a great question. We get this all the time. People are like, how how do you do this? <laughs> Both John and I had spent so many, so many hours after school, on the weekends, on the, the breaks in the summer and, uh, you know, on the holidays, doing this for over a decade. And we... I mean, it's it's almost like an addiction. We love we love doing it. We love doing the learning. And now what we actually get by providing this for other educators is this is actually our process for learning. So John alluded to our mentoring moment episodes on the podcast, but we also interview all kinds of different people from the math education space. So every episode we are learning through the coaching calls, but also through interviews. And we actually create resources, not only so we can use them in our own classrooms, but so we can share them out with educators as well. So I would argue that it's kind of like, we'll say a bit selfish for us because by <laughs> providing, we're also receiving. And, and we, we do state that so often. And we thank anyone who comes on our, our podcast or joins us for the online summit. Because again, like we're getting access to increase our own understanding, our own pedagogical practice and our content knowledge. And dare I say one more thing that we've been focusing on a lot lately, and that is providing problem-based lessons for educators to check out. And we've actually been creating full units on our website as well so that educators can kind of see what this looks like day to day because something that we both struggled with for many years was we would do this three-act math task or problem-based math lesson or something that was like intended to get students to enjoy the process. But then after that experience was done, we sort of resorted back to our same old, same old, right? So, you know, if students know that that's how you're going to be running your lesson, they sort of wait it out, right? They're like, ah, he'll just give me the formula after, you know, I'm just going to wait it out and eventually it'll come my way. So we realized that we need to be providing material that teachers can utilize in order to see what this looks like from day one all the way to the last day in a unit so that they can really envision this process as we emerge new strategies and emerge math models that maybe they didn't realize were there and are actually really important for students to fuel their sense making. So for us, this is what we do. We love it. We love being on this podcast here to talk about the work with you. We still get those shivers as, uh, you know, those chills down our spine when we're chatting about math and, and trying to transform math classrooms. So so that's something that we're, we're going to keep on uh, plugging away with. That resonates with me because I, as a coach, also learn from the people I'm mentoring. It's a true partnership. And if you're open as a leader to learn from someone else's experiences or use their questions to deepen your knowledge or share it in a different way that makes sense to them, yeah, we're all growing. We're helping each other. It's truly a great way to give back to the profession because you're also learning and growing. And I realize you are mentoring folks, but is there someone you go to for mentorship? Is it each other? Or is there someone from your past, uh, a professor or someone in the math department that you still go to with your mm. own questions or ideas? Yeah, for sure. And I think you've answered it that Kyle and I have always, uh, this is why we joined up. We didn't teach in the same district. We didn't know each other before. Uh, like we're not like high school buddies that decided <laughs> to do this. We were pushing each other eight years ago. We were like sharing resources back and forth. They're like, what did you do for this lesson? What what have you tried that works here? And, and he would share that with me and I would share that with him because we were teaching the same class, but, and realizing 
later that we actually live pretty close to each other that we get together and talk about these things as well and so yeah i think that we rely heavily on each other for new learning and, and new support and new guidance but then we, we have some folks that we've learned from over the years that have been doing some really great work first one that comes to mind that uh, i know that i've had a has had a huge influence on what i'm doing in my classroom and how i comply the framework links up with his work is Peter Lillidal, who has been for the last few years thinking and, and writing and designing something called the Thinking Classroom, which is a way to shift your math teaching that kind of it does align up with what we're doing, but also has specific classroom structure ideas mm. of what you can be doing to get more engagement. For example, his thinking classroom tips are that if you have kids standing at dry erase boards or even chalkboards work at the walls and are working on a problem first before you tell them he's saying the fact that they're standing and using a in a, a raceable surface they are faster to get to problem solving than they are if they're sitting down with mm. a piece of paper and a pencil he's he's a math professor at simon fraser university in, in british columbia here in canada and he's been doing all this research on getting how kids think and how kids problem solve in math class and and his work his, his book the thinking classroom has been a, a big influence on what we're, we've been doing and he's one that i turn to kyle who would you say is one that you turn to for some inspiration? Can I say three? I've got oh, wow. <laughs> three. And one, I, I think, Gretchen, you're going to appreciate because actually I, I noticed that you had linked up the people I'm going to share one oh. of their books. But the first one, I, I'll say it again. I said it earlier is Dan Meyer about curiosity. He really inspired me to think differently about math class and you know i went down a huge rabbit hole about 10 years ago with his work around three act math tasks you'll you'll see his thinking come through in a lot of the resources that we do like we leverage his curious uh, sort of approach another one that's really big for me is whenever i'm thinking about how we teach the mathematics uh, kathy fosno who we've had on the podcast is a fantastic educator who really is about emerging the word emerging comes to mind when I think of her work and what she does around emerging big ideas, emerging strategies and emerging models, which means I had to do a lot of work to stop telling kids everything, you know, me telling them this is how you do it and this is the formula. It was about creating experiences for students to emerge these ideas. Uh, so Kathy Fosno's big. And then finally, the third one, and I saw this book on your website it was teaching middle school mathematics uh, mm -hmm. developmentally which is uh, mr vandewall he and his work has really influenced my own understanding of concepts that you know i've sort of always known how to quote unquote do problems with but never really understood the nuances um so that book in particular and his work around how students learn has really influenced a lot of the decision-making that we make when we're creating math experiences for educators and for students to be uh, learning in the classroom. Hey y'all, popping in here real quick to remind you, if you are loving the podcast, hop on over to iTunes to leave a star rating and type in a few words for the review. This helps other educators find the show so they too can be empowered. Lots of love and thanks. Now back to the show. Great. I'm going to link these folks and their resources along with everything you've mentioned in the show notes so folks can find them too. I know that as you're working with these teachers, whether it's one-on-one -on -one coaching calls or you're out at schools or however you want to provide the professional development, are you noticing that there is a common characteristic that makes successful math teachers great at teaching math or helping students think if you were to break it down and say, okay, you just got to do these three things. I know you've got your three-pronged approach, but in terms of what makes the educator leading that great, what would you say? I guess I would say that if you're thinking about how to spark curiosity so that you can fuel sense-making with your teachers and thinking about the, the third prong, uh, which is the teacher moves. I think if you're going to be like me, like the way I, not my progress was, uh, I was a very traditional teacher and then I'm going to, I pivoted because I saw a need or saw that something 
something had to change. I think part of what makes a teacher who's going to be successful in the transformation is is someone, it's pretty simple. It's, it's one, and I'm sure Kyle can jump in afterwards here, but, but one is, was a transition of caring about kids and who they are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a, an important aspect of, of teaching. I think everybody has that in, in the education space, especially people who are listening to this podcast. They must care about their students as people first. Because I was a teacher who, you know, that those first few years was more, I cared more about math lessons mm-hmm. in my examples, in my structure and my flow than I did about kids and what kids think. And I think when I made the shift to care about what is actually happening with that student, that was when everything changed. And I think when a teacher makes that shift to go, hey, I actually care about what this kid, you know, who this kid is for one, and then also what are they thinking, right? Like, because that's going to allow you to spark their curiosity. It's going to allow you to dig so that you can fuel their sense making. Kyle, would you add anything to that on your list? Yeah, I think you you hit it pretty well. It's like, you know, if you ask, especially both you and I having the classroom experience as high school teachers, you ask a high school teacher what they teach. They usually say math or Mm -hmm. English or geography. And the reality is, is we teach kids and we're trying to help students understand and learn about math. And I think one of the key sort of characteristics or traits that teachers need to have is being reflective and being open. And also, I would say vulnerable is another big one as well, Mm -hmm. because I, I feel like new educators especially, but you know, many teachers with a lot of experience, if they don't realize this is happening, oftentimes they dig in even deeper on this. But we sort of come in and like, you know, the expression fake it till you make it comes to mind. Right. Mm -hmm. And you you get in there, you're in your first year teaching and you're sort of like fake it till you make it. Right. And you're like, all right, like I I can't let them see weakness or see (laughs) that I have no idea what I'm doing. And the reality is, is that some people hang on to that and it's almost like they just keep faking it forever. And it's like you you almost have to stop and and be okay to say, listen mathematics i got through i I, you know i went to university i got a math degree like both john and i have math degrees and i openly tell students now that i don't understand how so much of the math that i'm going to teach you in this school year i don't understand how it actually works (laughs) and kids are shocked they think i'm lying and i'm like no but for real and i could pick examples that i now am really trying to be reflective and open and i'm trying to learn about But one that's a really simple one, I think, for a lot of teachers is dividing fractions. Tell me how that works and why it works. And conceptually, like I'm not saying how the procedure works so the answer always comes out right. I'm talking about like what is going on there? Can you make up a context that actually involves dividing fractions? And I would say about two years ago, the answer was no for me. And that's okay if people are listening going like, oh, I have no idea. That's okay. Be vulnerable and say, I don't know. And now look at being open enough and reflective enough to try to seek that out. And you can put a fill in the blank for it doesn't matter what the concept is. Look at that concept that you're about to teach and think about how does this thing even work? And if the answer is you're not sure, that's okay. But think of how hard that must be for students who have someone who's going to teach them about a thing that they're not even really certain about, right? And this is, I think, one of the biggest things that we can do to help more students have access and to make a more equitable experience for all students in our classroom. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect and it doesn't mean you have to know the answer tomorrow, but let's, you know, let's be open and honest with ourselves that there's a lot of things that we're teaching, long division, even subtraction. This is for our primary friends who are listening. Hey, if you tell kids that subtraction is takeaway, you are lying half of the time because (laughs) it's not always takeaway. Sometimes it's the difference. And it can always be described as the difference, but you can't really always describe it as takeaway. And that is something that I only recently learned again in the past couple of years due to Mr. Vanderwall. <laughs> so it's okay if we've all made mistakes, but they're not mistakes. It's what I knew at the time. When you know better, you're going to do better, right? That That's the quote is make sure that you're open, you're reflective. And if you're constantly doing that, 
you're going to constantly become a better and better math teacher, more confident. And with that confidence, you'll actually tell kids more openly about how uncertain you are about even more in the math world. And I, I think that'll go a long way with building trust with your students and building an awesome, effective math program. Yeah, relationships are everything. You're being vulnerable. You're showing how you've grown as a person. You're admitting things you're still working on. And that encourages risk taking in them to be honest and vulnerable and give it a try and admit what you don't know and find out why you don't know it and come together towards a common goal. It's just a great ripple effect. I think that's outstanding advice. And speaking of advice, I want to push us to be even more specific to talk to a listener. I have what I call buckets, meaning just different categories of teachers listening. Some are teacher leaders like myself, some are brand new teachers. And then we've got this group that's in transition, meaning they move to a different grade level or subject area, or maybe they're moving buildings or maybe even out of teaching if that's what's happening. They are in distress. So if you were to pick a category to give some very specific advice to, and you both can answer separately or together, hmm. who would you pick and what would you say to them? Yeah, that group that you just mentioned about this transition a teacher who's moved from grade to grade or from maybe they were teaching uh, social studies and now they have to teach mathematics or and then maybe they're a brand new teacher. I, I wouldn't mind speaking to them because I think when you want to make the, the I said before, there's a lot of FOMO happening. It's mm -hmm. like, we, we want to be here. We want to be here. We want to do this. We want to do this. I see that. I see that. I, I want to... I want to do this. And especially when we listen to podcasts, this happens to me when I listen to other podcasts too, not just teaching podcasts. It's like, Oh, I got to try that. I got to do this. And you want to, you want to think you want to get it all at once. And, and when you want to get it all at once, it's not possible because we don't have enough time in the day to make those changes in your practice as a teacher. And, and I think we compare ourselves to teachers who've been teaching for many, many years in a certain way and go, I want to be that. But you're seeing when you compare yourself to that person, you're, you're seeing not just you know where they are now, but you, you've missed out on the journey that that teacher also had been on. Sometimes we can't just get from A to B by jumping. We have to actually go through the mud mm. to get there. We have to try these other things before we can get to that space. But we see these social media has made this more evident than in the past is, is that you can see educators and what they're doing. And you're like, I need that. But it's like, you need, you know, you need to, to get there. Like one example is the teachers will ask us like, what's happening in assessment in mathematics with you guys. And, and we start to talk about standards based grading. And we start to talk about how, how we're, you know, we're reevaluating this and how, what tools we're using over here. Sometimes that can be overwhelming. And, but, but then they also don't see that it took us eight years to kind of get to that spot and a lot of the times is when you especially when you're seeing stuff on social media is that you're you're seeing someone's best 20 percent and you're mm -hmm. comparing it to your worst 80 mm percent -hmm. and that's you know that's just not that's not just math class that's like that's all of facebook but uh, <laughs> but, uh but I, I, if I'm speaking to those transitionary teachers, it's give yourself some grace and time that you will get to the journey that you're, you'll get to that spot through the journey you're on. And it's slow going, but you're making some great progress by taking small steps. Don't try to take those big steps. That's when overwhelm happens and then you quit. So small steps, I think, is better, but know that you can get there. Just, just take your time. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I would say pick that one thing. We always say the pebble in your shoe. And the reason we say singular, there are many in there. You got, you got a, a huge shovel full of pebbles in those shoes. I know that. But pick that one and start to focus in on that. And again, that's why we start our three-part framework. There are three big ideas, but we say like pick one part of that framework and let's start digging in there. And you know what you end up finding as you start to figure things out over here. For us, it was curiosity. That sort of started us on the rabbit hole. You start digging there, and then all of a sudden you get to this point where next thing you know, you're you're over here in sense-making and you're realizing, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm on this journey. So pick something and start working on that and just know that it's not, you know, it's not a one-day thing. It's not a weekend thing. It's not a one-year thing. It's a journey, but I'm telling you, when you get on this journey and you start to see changes in your own classes and you see and you feel it in your teaching practice, that's what's going to fuel you to keep on going. And to be honest, if we rush to the end of this journey, 
what else is there to do? 30-year career, it's a long time. This this kind of makes it exciting where each and every time I teach a concept, I get to like try it again. You know, I look at it a different way now. I used to when I was teaching procedurally, I would I would just look, oh, I got to teach that concept again. It was like, oh, I don't want to do that one. I don't like that lesson. Now it's like, all right, like last time these things worked well, but this thing went really horribly wrong. I wonder how can I, what can I do differently this time that might make something change or click. And that to me is really exciting. And I think that's what can fuel you to kind of keep moving along this journey without feeling like this, it's this big rush. This is wise advice, but more than that, it's encouraging. And I think your roadmap of the three prong approach is the tangible way to get there. I think if someone's listening to this podcast, they're, they're going to feel like I can, I can handle this. It's doable. I can hang in there. I'm going to give it a try. And hopefully through connecting with you, they'll get, you know, even more support. I did want to give one of you an opportunity to share uh, your best all-star teacher moment. And let me tell you why I asked this question (laughs) It's because I think it's important for us to share when things are going well and not just give advice. If someone's listening, they can hear an idea you had in the classroom or a conversation you had or a questioning strategy you used. It helps them take that and run with it and give it a try. And so beyond um, kind of the the big ideas, I'd love to give something tangible. So if there's a moment that yeah. stands out for one of you that, that yeah, this was like my all-star teacher moment, what would it be? I'd love to hear it. Sure. I'm going to be real specific too. And I, and I was just talking about this, this lesson with some teachers and it, I guess it's fresh in my mind is that it's one of my first lessons where I made a pivot to not just teach from examples first and then let kids experience some math second. And it's also one of the first ones that Kyle and I were starting to go, Oh, what are the elements here? Like what, how, how do I, how do I spark curiosity? And it comes down to um, a, a phrase that we use quite often. It's and we, and we call it withholding information. If, if I can withhold information from my students up front, then I, what I'm doing is I'm creating an information gap and that information gap is so necessary when sparking curiosity. So when you're thinking about like, why do you like, flip to the next episode on the Netflix uh, show when they come to a cliffhanger and en- ending it's because they've created an information gap and you're like, I gotta know what happens next. <laughs> and so we, that's part of our sparking curiosity framework. Uh, the first part of that framework is how do I make that? And this is one of the, the first lessons I did that, that, which is I took a very, very abstract, very traditional math problem and say high school math or, or middle school math about finding the distance between two points on a plane. I'm going to talk math now, folks. Uh, <laughs> Snakes so, on a plane, did you say? No, yeah, yeah, almost. So two, you just think even just two points that are just very general, they're, they're, they have no context. There's like negative one comma two and three comma four. Like what's the distance between that? That's actually the learning goal for that particular lesson. I would have taught it normally, like, let me just show you how to find the distance. Here's the formula. Let's use the formula a few times. Now you go practice the formula. And that would have been my lesson in the old days. But with these, these new shifts, it was, how do I withhold information? Like, what can I take away from this so that my kids have that information gap? And what I ultimately decided uh, was to strip away all the numbers, even the grid. It was like, we're not even gonna put these on a grid. It was like, hey, here are two dots and a white space. Kids, go and find me the distance between these points. And I didn't even give them the points. It was just up on the screen. And they're like, wait a minute, what? how do I do that? And then it's like, well, what what do you need to do that? It's now we can slowly give them some information only after they ask for it. And that's where this problem solving happens. Like that's, that's where real problem solving happens with your math students is it's hold that back, that stuff, and then give it to them when they ask for it. And then ask them why they want it. Because then if you listen, they're going to tell you their strategy and you can learn a lot from listening to their strategies. They might not even need the lesson because they told you already what they know about that particular learning goal. And so in this case, we would kids would say, well, like, I, I would like a ruler or uh, I might maybe I maybe I want to hold this meter stick up to the board. And then I would say, OK, well, I don't have exactly all that right here, but I do have this. And then I could toss a grid on the screen behind the dots. And I say, does this help anymore? 
and kids start to start to think about it and look at it. And then you could see some of them starting to redraw it on their page or their desk or wherever they are. And they're starting to piece together some counting. Maybe you can see kids go diagonal counting across grid spaces. You can also, I also saw some kids trying the Pythagorean theorem to find the distance because they saw a right triangle now that it was on a grid and they were starting to do that. And then I said, well, okay, well, we don't, there's no numbers here. How do we know that this distance is one or two? And so then I can flip a switch and all of a sudden now the grid has numbers. And from those numbers, kids are like, oh, no, my, I was using one space. Now I need to adjust it because actually one space was really two units long. And so now they scaled up or scaled down based on the numbers of, of what they were seeing. And now after doing that a few times and then all of a sudden me moving the points and going, okay, well, you all, you, you got the distance here. Let's try the distance between these two. We repeat that process. And all of a sudden kids are finding the distance between two points. And I didn't tell them any formulas because the formula between distance between two points on a curve is really the Pythagorean theorem anyway, except us math teachers like to muddy the waters by showing you a new version of it and calling it something different. And so that that lesson where kids were discovering how to use what they already know, their own intuition in finding the distance between two points without using a formula. And I think that was one of my first kind of uh, big moments where I can thought I could do this regularly. And I like that you tie it back to what we were talking about before is it's a partnership. We're learning from each other, the kids strategies, the way they think it pushes us to share it in a new way or with the next class, share what another student did. And that holds value because it's not just the teacher telling you. And uh, it's truly, we all have something to contribute, even someone who's just learning it for the first time, because the way they see it, their perspective, what they bring to the table is just as valuable. So I'm so glad that that moment happened and you're able to replicate that strong thinking and, and collaboration in your classrooms. But Kyle and John, I want to be respectful of your time. So before I let you go, I just want to ask you both, how do you reignite that passion and potential that you have as an educator? Ooh, reignite. Now, I, just to be clear, it reignite it for like, are you talking about for your listeners? Like if they're there feeling like, I just like, how do I light that flame or how do we keep it going? Yeah. How uh, do you because... keep it going when you've got a rough day or you're in a rut or you're just not sure? Am I doing what I'm meant to be doing? How do you yeah. get that spark again? Absolutely. You know what? And I think we all have it. And I think, again, reflection has to be one of the key pieces, whether you choose to reflect through exercise, you know, I, I try to get outside and do a run. It's not a long run. Try to do that in the morning, kind of think through what's going on and try to try to narrow down. Like, why are you feeling the way you're feeling? And as you're more reflective, and this is really hard when things aren't going well, right? I think we've all realized that when you're feeling positive, you love reflecting. Everything's amazing. But when <laughs> things aren't going well, that could be really tough. And it's like convincing yourself to get yourself into that space. If you do meditation, you know, where you do like a formal meditation, like ensure that you create that space for yourself so that you can either clear that mind or give yourself that time to think about like what's going well, what isn't going well for yourself and try to hone in on what that piece might be. And, you know, something that I remember very vividly, and this was an experience from in the classroom where I had a group of students where I just, I felt like it wasn't my first year teaching. It was probably year five, six, or maybe seven. I thought I had my classroom management down and, you know, sort of wasn't thinking about it. And what I realized was that, hmm, like something here is not going well and it, I can't just say it's the kids. And of course, different students come from different backgrounds, different experiences. And of course, those all factor into the dynamic in a classroom. But the reality is you have to zoom out and start thinking about like what is not working currently. And it can be extremely hard when things aren't going well. But for me, that's the big piece is like setting that time to think about what isn't working well here and what can I do to influence that? And again, it can be small little changes, but you have to, you don't want to just keep going with it and sort of saying it'll eventually be over at the end of the semester or the end of the school year. What can I do now that could be helpful? And, and oftentimes it might even turn to, Hey, 
how do I build a stronger relationship with this group of students? I find that that all it, it seems to always come back to building that community. What can I do in order to build that community to build, you know, to send out another olive branch and other another leaf so that students feel like, hey, this is a team here we are. Let's do this together. And uh, and again, I think it does come back to reflection. So make that time and you will make progress. My inspiration moving forward is I think I think I, I have to echo a little bit of what Kyle says is that I do find reflecting in my my exercise as well. I, I do like I, I listen to podcasts, but half the time I do zone out because I will start to focus on some other things. And I think that actually helps me hearing something in the background allows me to focus on what's happening in my in my classroom and, and refocusing there. I, I, I do you know hey i'm gonna let you guys in on a secret i am i love cooking (laughs) and i am the cook and sole cook in my family uh, of five and and i find it so therapeutic and i think about my day while i'm cooking and and organizing and chopping and and preparing the food that we're going to eat so i usually need that downtime to kind of break away from the day some people will say you know that that's that's super important to like disconnect yourself partly as i will disconnect myself physically but then sometimes i will make sure i reflect mentally so that's how i usually recharge yeah i think you're both right about having some sort of outlet that allows you just a quick time out but in doing so it gives you time and space to think which then brings you back full circle to what is it you want to do what are you passionate about and so folks are feeling like man i just uh, i'm losing that spark to just it's okay to step away sometimes it brings you closer i know that might sound opposite but it, it does it allows you to just get rid of the the stressor that's right in front of you process it and then step back renewed. So I'm so glad to hear you both have different ways of doing that. Well, on behalf of Elite Educators Everywhere, thank you for your time today. Can you tell us how to connect with you? Absolutely. Yes, you can find us on all social media just by searching Make Math Moments. Our website, makemathmoments.com, is where you can find pretty much and head down the rabbit hole in any direction that you're feeling, be it the virtual summit or our tasks or our webinars. Anything that you're you're into is there. But since you're listening on podcasts right now and you're listening on your favorite podcasting platform, just do a search for Make Math Moments on your favorite, favorite podcast platform. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll we'll hear you in uh, this coming Monday morning episode because we release them once every single week. Oh, that's so exciting. I'll link all this up too in the show notes so they can find you on social, they can find the podcast, your website, all the things. Kyle and John, this has been a joy. I hope folks fall more in love with math, but more that they help kids really start thinking and growing and overcoming the obstacle of like, I can't do this or I'm not getting it right. I think you've shared a lot of different ways to Uh, create the life skill of problem solving and critical thinking and collaboration. So thank you for your stories. Thank you for your wisdom. It's been an absolute blessing to cross paths with you. And I hope to chat with you more in the future. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having us. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Wow, y'all. Wasn't that an empowering message? I am so thankful to John and Kyle for coming on and sharing their expertise their passion and excitement for math, sharing their three-pronged approach, loving all the resources that they are providing to educators worldwide, making sure access and equity are at the heart of what they do, uh, serving teachers who then serve students. So I am very glad that they have come across my plate. I can share their message here on the podcast, connect you all together. So make sure you listen to their podcasts, visit their website, check out the show notes here, alwayslesson.com. Click on podcast to find this episode. You'll find everything that they've mentioned right there. And John and Kyle, if you guys are listening, thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom. All right, Elite Educators, that is a wrap for this week's special edition interview podcast with John Orr and Kyle Pierce. Now go out and be great because you've just been empowered.